Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. On your mark. Get set. Go. How many times have we heard this sentence? Whether we're watching movies, there's racers lining up, or we're just playing out back in the yard with our kids. And yet, I've never taken a moment to consider what the words actually meant. On your mark, get set, go. My first thought was that it should be on my mark, right? As I'm saying the words on my mark, we're going to go. But that's not what the saying means. On your mark. This is a message to the runners to get to their lanes where they belong. It's essentially telling them, get in your path. Next, you hear the announcer say, get set. This means get in position into your stance so that you are ready when you hear the word go. It makes me think of the introduction scene to Cool Runnings. Yeah, Cool Runnings. Don't act like you don't love it. It was probably one of my favorite movies. The movie begins with Doris in that runner's position. And this has stuck with me my entire life because at the time the movie came out, I was a young boy in elementary school. And I was a runner. I loved sprinting. The 50-yard dash was my specialty. And I used to watch that introduction scene where we see Doris, this professional runner preparing for the Olympics. And he's assuming that position, that classic runner's stance. You know what it looks like. Uh, the runners get down. They put two hands down in front of them. They bend one of their legs. Then they bend the other leg. And they look up. And they wait for it. On your mark. Get set. Go. I would go on to mimic Doris's stance in all of my field days for years to come. Don't worry, no spoilers. If by chance you've never seen Cool Runnings. But in the beginning of the movie, Doris, this professional runner, there's an incident and suddenly his whole life goal of becoming an Olympic runner is changed. And through this strange series of events, him and his good friends become bobsledders. What could be crazier than a bunch of Jamaican guys going to the Olympics as bobsledders? I don't know. Maybe someone with a 24-hour-a-day, seven-days-a-week on-call job starting a small farm business. On the side. Maybe a couple deciding to pick up, leave everything, move out of the city, and just 
go live in the wilderness, in the mountains. Those are the stories we're going to bring you today. Stories of people who made homesteading happen, no matter what the circumstance. For any of us who are trying to start homesteading, it can seem crazy, like something that will never happen, a dream. And we've talked about this before recently on the Homesteady Show. But today we're going to really specifically hone in on those of you who have something stopping you. Maybe it's a full-time job. Maybe it's your family situation. Whatever the roadblocks are, today's episode is going to help you bust through those barriers so that you can find your mark, get set, and go. Get started homesteading. And we're going to do that with the help of two fantastic stories. One of them, the story of Cody from the Wrangler Star channel on YouTube. So do you want to start homesteading, but is there something holding you back? Get ready, because the next hour of your life is going to help you get started. Because today we're going to help you get on your mark. On Homesteady. crazy place but you and me we can each make it a little better we can live a more sustainable life we can become more self-sufficient we can get more connected with the planet around us and we can do all of this together so everybody cozy up it's time for another episode of homesteading everybody is gonna wonder i have an accent this is a good friend of ours named Marianne. Where is she from? Well, <laughs> and in case you're wondering, I'm from Norway. Is that so, what everybody asks you first? Yeah. For, <laughs> well, no, you can just tell at the look at their face yeah. that they're wondering. But- Marianne works a 24 hours a day on call full time job. And yet, she also is able to at the same time run a small farm with an online business. If you want to find a way to start farming in your life, start homesteading somehow, she's a great example. But to really understand how she was able to get here, you have to understand first where she comes from. It takes them a while to actually ask, if they ask at all. (laughs) Sometimes I just tell them because I know they're dying to know. (laughs) On the western portion of the Scandinavian peninsula, you'll find yourself in the kingdom of Norway. It's very flat, like flat as a pancake, very few trees, a lot of stones. We have stones galore. It's close to the ocean. So there's actually a saying, um, because we get a lot of northern winds. So when the wind kicks up, you know, we're talking gale force. And that's why we're so stubborn, because we just, you know, you bend your neck and you walk against that wind. The earliest peoples to carve out an existence on this northern peninsula were hunters and fishermen. Rock carvings tell a story of a community that lived off of deer and elk, bears and large fish, salmon, halibut, 
even whales. But as time passed, a large agricultural site grew into this community. Farmers who grew grain kept cows and sheep. And soon enough, agriculture became the number one means of survival, not hunting and fishing. There's still a strong agricultural community. Where Marianne grew up, there were lots of farms right alongside the coast of the North Sea. So the North Sea, yeah. what's the North Sea like? Very volatile, <laughs> especially in the winter. And one of my favorite things to do was to go to the beach, because we have actually beautiful beaches, white sand. But when, you know, when the wind kicks off, maybe you, you get a little storm. I loved to take the dogs down to the beach and just beat it. You got the wind coming in, the waves, the rain sideways. You, you, you gotta love it. it. It'll, in lack of a better word, it completely cleanses you of anything. That's where the stubbornness comes from. <laughs> Having to always fight that wind. Marianne refers to herself as a stubborn person. And I've said it before, farmers need to be stubborn. It's a hard life, and to succeed, you have to just keep at it. You have to fight against that wind. The place where I grew up, it's, uh, it's called Jaren. It's actually the place in the country that has the most fertile soil. There is a lot of farmers there. That's pretty much what people do. They farm. A lot of the family were farmers, mostly milk. They had cows for meat and milk. Um, my dad, at home, we always had sheep, um, you know, cats, dogs but only on a small scale. Um, it wasn't like the rest of the family that had bigger farms and actually lived from it. My dad always had a full-time job, so it was something he did as a hobby because he enjoyed it. The summers are beautiful. You can work pretty much around the clock if you want to because oh, nice. it stays you know, it stays light, very late. You, could you work outside all night? Yeah, if, yeah, if you wow. want, yeah. I've, oh, we did a lot of times, uh, you know, when it's harvest time, you need to get the hay in and stuff like that. We worked, uh, you know, 24 seven sometimes. If the, you knew the weather was coming in, you had to get that hay in. And we're talking, um, one of my grandfathers, he was old-fashioned, like very old-fashioned. We used, they never had a tractor or no, like, mechanical help. So it was horse, horses, wagons, you know, forks. But it's back-breaking. Yeah. But it's extremely rewarding. Marianne's father had a small hobby farm the entire time Marianne was growing up at home. 
he knew how valuable it was for children to be raised around animals, the lessons it could teach, because he was exposed to shepherding at a very young age. Like in the spring, everybody gets together and gathers all the animals, mostly sheep, put them all together and take them up to the mountains for the summer. As young as when he started walking almost, I guess. So they graze up in the mountains, but you always need somebody to, you know, keep an eye on them to make sure that if something happened to some of them that they were taken care of. How far were they into the mountains? Was it like at the end of the day they'd come back down? Oh, no, no. No, they lived up in the mountains and they were roaming free everywhere. As, you know, wherever the shepherds took them uh, and the shepherds were, you know, living with the sheep and I don't think they had much If they had a tent, they were lucky. What would our world be like if everyone at the age that you're sent off to kindergarten, in first grade, in second grade, instead were sent off into the mountains with their elders and had to spend time caring for young animals, for lambs, protecting them from predators, keeping watch on them and their needs, learning what it meant to really care for something, to be a true shepherd during those early formative years of our life. What would the world be like if all of us experienced that instead of second and third grade? You know, he had pretty much had it in his blood. And luckily enough, he, uh, he continued that as we grew up as well. So I, I kind of like to think I have it in my blood as well. Marianne's father loved farming, but he was never able to make it his life, his career, because at a young age, his life took an unexpected turn that he had to adapt to. We'll find out what that is after a word from our partners. I'm really excited to introduce you guys to our new partners, Premier One. A few years back, we decided to get goats, and that's when we became customers of Premier One because they have a ton of excellent quality products for goats, for sheep, for chickens, for pigs. You name it, if it's a farm animal, they have products for it that you need. This is how we actually became partners with Premier One. I was down at one of my local big box stores, I won't name it, I was buying a chicken nipple waterer, one of those buckets with the nipples in it so the chickens can drink without making a big mess. I brought it home and it started leaking. The minute I brought it home, it started leaking. I was so ticked off. I figured I'm gonna go make a YouTube video right now for my subscribers uh, to compare and I needed to find a good quality nipple waterer to show. I've been a customer of Premier One, so I checked out their site. Sure enough, they have this amazing chicken waterer. It has built-in nipples 
for the chickens to drink from, but they're recessed, so you can actually set the bucket down on the ground, which my kids do all the time. Sometimes I forget and I put the nipple buckets down. If you have these chicken nipple waterers, you know the struggle is real. And if you don't, you need to get some because they make raising chickens so much better. It's so much cleaner, less mess in the coop. So I called Premier One up. I said, listen, I'd like to introduce you to our audience. They said, we love homesteaders and now we're partnering. So I'm thrilled to have Premier One as a partner. You guys really need to head over to PremierOneSupplies.com. That's Premier, the number one supplies.com. They have movable poultry netting, sheep netting, goat netting, pig netting. They have solar chargers. We're going to be using these this upcoming spring on our farm and showing you on the YouTube channel how to set up a really good movable pastoral system for your homestead. Uh, but even if you just have a couple of chickens, they have fantastic gear. They have those heater bulbs, you know, those big bulbs you use when you're brooding chicks. They have those specially made, enclosed in hard plastic to keep them from getting broken, having them knocked over and burning your barn down. When I tell you Premier One creates great, fantastic quality equipment, I mean it. It's better than anyone's out there. And I am so thrilled that they are becoming partners with Homesteady because I love this brand. I love the stuff they make. It's great quality. And I know you guys are going to like it too. It's not stuff you can get at your local big box store, but it is worth the extra time it takes to go online, find it, and buy it. They have free shipping right now on orders over $100. Uh, so go check it out. PremierOneSupplies.com Marianne's father loved the time he spent in the mountains, learning to be a shepherd. So much so that for the rest of Marianne's life at home, she remembers them having animals of some sort. But Marianne's father's life took a sudden change that led him down a different path in life. He worked in uh, public works here, fixing roads. He was like a big machine kind of guy with bulldozers and uh, when you know when they they got <clears throat> they had to get married so for a while they had to live with my mother's parents and he built the whole house from scratch from scratch all on his own everything he did that's amazing how old was he he was young. He was 18, 19. But what you, I mean, it's the only thing you can do if, I mean, you're not swimming in money. You can't afford to have a lot of other people do it for you. So you do it yourself, little by little. Plus, he was helping my grandfather a lot on the farm. He did a lot. Your dad sounds like a tough guy. He was. Yeah. Is he he's not still alive? No, unfortunately he passed. But no, he was, I don't know, it, the phrase, the world's best dad, just doesn't cover it. Yeah. 
young man, not even in his 20s, with his first baby on the way. He walked into the wind. He built his own home for his family after spending the entire day working a hard job. And when he wasn't doing that, he helped his family on the farm. Marianne's father is no longer with us, but his legacy lives on in his daughter, who walked against her own wind at the age of 17, moving away from home, and eventually, like her Viking ancestors before her, crossing the Atlantic to a new world. younger years, I was uh, very um, adventurous. Yeah. I wanted to move to the big city, which everybody thought, you can't do that. You're not a city girl. And I'm like, well, I want to find out. Marianne had a sense of adventure. She wasn't going to be talked out of moving away to the city. She walked against the wind, the negative comments, people thinking she was crazy. Because she's that kind of person. She's stubborn. She's not afraid. Maybe it's because she's a descendant of the Vikings. Vikings. The Norwegians were part of, you know, that era. Barbarians. Savages. We raided. We did a lot of not-so-nice things with the Danes and the Swedes. We settled Iceland. Scandinavian pirates. The world has categorized these people, classified them, into the simple stereotypes that work well for cartoons. But these people's history is a lot different what you and me may imagine when we hear the word Viking. You know, when people think Vikings, that's all they think about is raiding and, and raping and burning down and destroying and taking over because that's mostly what you learn in school or that's mostly what's talked about. But it was so much more than that. I mean, you had a whole other side of it just the way they lived, you know, the, the morals and ethics they had, a lot of that is forgotten. If, for instance, if you promise something, you stick to it. You take care of your family. If a stranger comes to your house, offer him food and room, you know, if he needs it. You always take care of people in an honorable way. When you hear the word Viking, rarely is it associated with a lesson on ethics. And yet Marianne tells us that like all peoples and all cultures from our history past, there's more to them than the stereotypes that we know on the surface. Some believe that the word Viking comes from a term describing a long sea journey that's done not by sail, but by rowing. Imagine these men taking shifts, rowing these great distances through these storm-swept seas. That is a people who takes challenge head on and aren't afraid. 
And that's the kind of person that it takes to be a small farmer or homesteader. The Vikings were people that were looking for better land, better places where they could grow their own crops to feed their families and care for their own. Like when they went to England and saw the, the, you know, the fertility of the soil there, they thought, oh, we can really farm this land very well and maybe even better than we can at home. So they looked at it as an improvement of life for their family and, you know, just having a better life. Even then, like like everybody does today. Everybody wants a better life. It's where most of us find ourselves in our own lives. Once we're married, we have a family, someone to care for, trying to figure out where the right place to do that is and how to balance it all. It's where Marianne found herself when her job moved her across the Atlantic to America. From when I started working, like got a real job after school, you know, and moved around from, you know, we moved to England and then we moved here. Everything was more focused on, you know, work, work, work. And I got to the point to where I realized I can't live like this. This is, this isn't life. Because when you do that, when work is all consuming, there is no you. I think uh, we're m- much better back home to separate work and family. You know, everybody says, oh, the Europeans, they're so lazy. You know, they work from uh, nine to five and at five o'clock sharp, they're gone. Well, yeah, that might be, but they also realize that there is a life outside of work. You're working because you want to take care of your family. Oh, I mean, if the family doesn't see you, what's the point? Today, it seems like Everybody just want, 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 and they want more, more, more. And it's all about more money, more stuff. But it won't make you more happy. It's going to burn you out. And it's, hey, if you work your butt off and have a lot of money, but all you do is work, well, you're not going to have time to spend the money on something you enjoy. We're just gonna, are you gonna bring him with you? When you go, you can't. Marianne's not telling you to go out and quit your job. Remember, I said at the outset, she's someone who has a 24-hour on-call job. But she's saying there needs to be more to your life than your career. And for her, that started with animals. Animals have always been a big part of my life. I realized If I didn't go back to that part of me, work would kill me. I work in shipping oil tankers. I fill the ships so they can get from A to B. 
So it's interesting because that's a 24-7-365 days job. You're really never off. Wow. Because the ships, they don't stop. I can tell you so many funny stories being in the middle of a birth. Remember when she says birth, she's talking about goats. And on the phone with a captain that has a problem. And the birth cannot wait. The captain cannot wait. Oh, man. Multitasking. (laughs) (laughs) I like my job. I love my job. How did you say to yourself, I could still do this farming thing? Because I had to. Because there was parts of me that I love using that I couldn't really use in my, you know, daily job. And I, I was feeling like lacking not being able to use those parts of me. And I'm sure everybody is like that to some degrees. I don't think there's anybody out there that has a job where they get all of them fulfilled. Can you relate with Marianne? Do you have a job that you love, you enjoy, you get fulfillment out of, that you wouldn't want to give up, but you feel like there's something missing? You really want to get your hands into this world of homesteading, maybe have some animals or start a garden. Then you got to do what Marianne did. Having your routines, you know, you have your morning routines. During the day, you're at work. Sometimes during uh, birthing season, you have to fly home (laughs) and back to work if something's going on. But, you know, you just set it up with routines that fits your schedule. (laughs) You end up with uh, not a lot of hours for sleep, but who cares if if you like doing what you do? When we first started our small farm and growing it to the point of selling product, we started while I was still working full-time away from home. I had to wake up every day at 4.30 or 5, get outside and do my chores. But it just became a routine. I went to bed earlier every night. It allowed us to have the animals and to start. Because once you start, one of two things will happen you'll realize that this is an awesome hobby that you love, but maybe you need to scale back a little bit so that it can maintain hobby level and work with your life. Or you'll realize that this is all you wanna do and you'll make the necessary changes in your life so that you can do it more and more. The key is you have to start. The third thing that could happen is you wind up realizing you don't like this at all and you quit altogether. And as long as you tried it, There's nothing wrong with that. The point is you have to start because until you start doing something on your property, waking up one hour earlier each day just to do something, your garden, some vegetables, some chickens, until you start, you can't get any better at it. You can read all the books and listen to all the episodes of every podcast out there. But until you start, you won't know what's right for you in your life. Mary Ann's farm, it's changed a lot since she started. She's gone through sheep, she's had goats, alpacas. It seems like she's always getting into something new 
and moving on from something previous. You need, you know, a fair amount of stubbornness. You need a lot of energy. It's not for lazy people. <laughs> Farming, even at a small scale, it is hard work. Homesteading is tough. But Marianne learned from her parents that you need to just do it. Otherwise, you might never get the chance. I saw what happened, I think, if you don't do it, for both my mom and dad, really. And I don't want that to, to happen to me. He was very creative in many ways, but he never really got to use that creativity properly. And you can tell, it, not that he's unhappy or anything, but you can definitely tell there's part of that person that's just laying there not being used. And it, that's, it's a shame. I have so many listeners out there who are like, oh, I really want to do this, but right now we have full-time jobs and may, you know, we have a plan though in 10 years. And you, you might be dead in 10 years. You know, you never know. Yeah. If you want to do it, do it now. Just make it a priority. Yeah. And you did that. Yeah, I had to. It was, that wasn't an option. No. Uh, why would I wait? I, I seriously, I really mean it when I say, you might not wake up tomorrow. You don't know. You just don't. I would say if there is something in your life that you want to do, whether that's small farming or have, it might be just having a couple of laying chickens or having some meat chickens, find a way to do it. Don't say, nah, I have to do, I have to do, you know, set up this and set up this and, you know, get ready with that and maybe next year. Next year, it's going to be the same thing. Maybe next year. So you'll never get to do it. If you really want to do it, you have to do it. Just find a way to do it. going to blow. You have no power over that. But you can decide to walk against the wind. So what is the wind in your life? What is preventing you from starting? What challenges are you facing? Is it people who are being negative about your desire to start homesteading? Negative remarks telling you that you don't have time to do that or that you're crazy to want to? Is it a full-time job like Marianne's that holds you back? Makes you think you don't have the chance? Makes you think that you couldn't possibly do it all and that you should wait, save up, and maybe in 10 years start? Identify what the wind is. What is that challenge? And then remember that even with a hard wind blowing, in 10 years, if you start tomorrow, you will be much further along than if you wait and start when the wind is gone. If you want to, we want to help. And that's why we have a brand new course over at thisishomesteady.com. 
before you hang up the phone, this is a free course. We really just want to help you start homesteading. And we want to help you simplify the process, learn about what you specifically need to learn about, develop your plan, and help you go forward. Ready, set, go. We are currently in the production stage of this Ready, Set, Go Homestead course. And this isn't like a cheesy, you know, click on it and you get a little ebook that has a, you know, a couple tips and tricks. This is a video course that we are filming here on our farm to help walk you through the steps, guide you into the process of homesteading. The coolest part of this is like those weird 1980s style adventure books. It is a choose your own adventure. So you're going to fill out a questionnaire when you sign up for this course. It is going to ask you some very specific questions about what you're interested in. This entire course is going to be designed to help you learn about what you need, plan, and get going. And it's going to be totally free. Here's the thing. I need a couple test pilots. So if you want to be the first one to take this course, head on over to thisishomestudy.com. You'll see a big yellow button. Click it. I'm only going to accept 20 people right now to take this free course. Uh, these are going to be the test pilots. You're going to give it a trial run, and I'm going to need your feedback in return for being one of these 20 test pilots. So if you want to be part of the 20 free students, head on over to thisishomestudy.com. You will see a big yellow button that says join me. Sign up for the email list. I'm going to be emailing everyone and asking who would like to be a test pilot. All you have to do to be a test pilot, its again, it's a free course, is just give me feedback. Tell me what you thought. Tell me what could be improved. And tell me what you want to know. If you want to start homesteading, we want to start helping. And for the rest of you, that course, as soon as we get it in, out of development stage and into its uh, final production it will be open and available to everyone. And if you want to take it, just join the email list and I'll let you know when it's available. Special thanks to Marianne for taking part in this episode. If you want to learn about Marianne, just go to our website and click the link because there's no way you'll be able to figure out how to spell www.frigiaseter.com which... <laughs> Have fun trying to yeah, yeah, no, we'll have, you'll, yeah, you'll, you'll put a link to that. There you'll find a link and the blog post right up from the Suburban Escapee. The Suburban Escapee is an expressive arts therapist. And in this month's episode write up uh, her own personal take on it, she encourages you to make what's called a vision board. If you want to get started homesteading, make yourself a vision board to help you stay motivated. It's a really cool idea. If you want to know how to make that, head on over to the website. It, it takes a while for someone who's new to the channel to really get what we're doing here. There's a lot of this, this is Cody. You yeah. may know Cody if you watch the Wrangler Star channel on YouTube. And judging by their numbers, you probably have at least stumbled across one of their videos. They have an incredibly popular channel all about modern homesteading. Things. But the, the channel itself is more about a story of a family that's trying to change their way of life. Modern homesteading to us was getting out of the city, quitting jobs that we had that were causing us to work 80 hours a week, having our son and being raised by my parents, and doing basically doing a radical change of the way we thought 
uh, and we wanted to have a life where we could have time and spend time together. Cody is sharing these radical changes on his YouTube channel, where you can see them gardening, canning, uh, doing blacksmithing and timber management. They're able to share so much of this journey because Cody no longer has a job off farm. Their living is made thanks to the hard work that they've put into their YouTube channel. Um, we make money from YouTube, um, the book sales, um, merchandise, uh, everything is all online, so we don't have to leave the home. Cody and his family are living what many of us would consider a dream. They get to homestead full time. But this didn't just happen overnight. Cody and his wife had to take control of their life and direct it towards this goal. They had to design it. And it all started way back when Cody was a young boy. I mean, there was only one four-letter word in our family growing up, and it was can't. Our dad would not <laughs> allow us to say that. And his, all I remember him growing up was figure it out, figure it out. He didn't hold our hand. He didn't coddle us and, or ever think that we were incapable of doing anything. And that involved my sister as well. It was figured out and he made us do things and that um, uh, was pivotal in, in us being able to do what we do now. Gardening and farming and blacksmithing, none of these things came to me uh, from childhood. The thing that came to me was that can do and not being afraid to tackle them and take things on. Cody's father wanted to raise a kid who could be self-taught, who could adapt, who could figure things out for himself. And when you listen to Cody tell his life story, you realize that his dad definitely succeeded. Cody was a different kind of kid. So so how, how many, let's go all the way back. What's the first business? What's the first, um, you know, where's the story really start? My high school job and a lot of my friends were uh, working at gas stations. I would, uh, I'd go and buy cars off of uh, Nicolette. Cody would search the newspaper for broken cars and he'd put them back together. Fix them and resell them. And that was, I guess, my first business. That was, of course, before he graduated. I graduated high school. My dad said, well, so what do you want to do now? You want to go to college? You know, I wasn't really the college type. Instead of going to college, Cody wanted to get involved in the trades. And so he bought an excavator. And I walked into a uh, Ford dealership, a Ford tractor dealership, and, and walked <laughs> out of there with, uh, I think, a $150,000 excavator and no jobs and no work and no way to haul it around. And, you, you know, you're highly motivated when you don't know where your next meal is going to come. So now Cody had a machine, which he owed a $5,000 monthly payment on, and he wasn't quite sure how he was going to pay that. He had no jobs. It makes me think of infant swimming. There's a phenomenon referred to infant swimming. It's where an infant winds up in water, underwater. It will naturally close its mouth, prevent itself from inhaling the water, and it'll make kicking or swimming-like motions. It is not swimming, and it will not survive without the help of an adult, so please don't try this at home. Uh, but it does happen. You can see YouTube videos of babies swimming. It's kind of frightening, actually. <laughs> it's like that Nirvana album, the one with the baby swimming on the cover. And I promise this is the last early 90s culture reference I will make in this podcast. But that's what I picture young Cody, fresh out of high school, $150,000 machine to pay off, and no work yet, like a little baby tossed into a pool. Which again, sounds horrible, so please don't try this at home. 
In fact, I'm I'm sorry I brought it up in the first place. Uh, what I didn't have any work when I started, and so there was a place. Uh, there were a lot of sites up there that nobody would would try to, to to cut foundations on because they were just too steep and too dangerous. And I had to go up there, and and I would take on those jobs and, and do those things because it was the only work I could get. Being a new contractor, Cody went and found the hardest jobs he could, the jobs nobody else wanted, and he took them on. So for several years. Cody worked on these steep sites, cutting in foundations, proving himself a really adept contractor. And he developed a reputation that way, of a guy who could get it done. One thing led to another, and soon enough he found himself a superintendent at a larger construction company. He liked doing the work, the trades, but he didn't like the atmosphere. Environment. I didn't really like the type of people that I was working around. The thing that I didn't like was there was no attention to detail and nobody cared anything about craftsmanship. And these things were always important to me. And I just used to remember hear guys saying things like, well, we'd do something that was done halfway. And they'd say, well, I don't care. I can't see it from my house or it's good enough government work. And I just did not like working around people like that. Cody takes good craftsmanship really seriously. So much that he decided this atmosphere was not the kind he wanted to be in. And he moved on. A lot of the guys he was working around were doing shoddy work because no one would know the difference. But Cody feels like you should do your best work, even if no one will ever see it. I got a neighbor that uh, restores old boats, and he, he was showing me uh, something he found clear down at the very bottom of the boat, down by the keel, where no one would ever see it had been covered up by planks. You can see back in the day, 18, 1700s or so, some carpenter had drilled a hole in the wrong spot. And no one would have ever noticed it, never even known it was there. He took the time to dowel it, to plane it down flush, and to, and to fix it properly. Even though no one would ever know about it about him. And I thought, man, that is so different than what we have going on today with so many people. This unknown carpenter teaches us a really important lesson when it comes to craftsmanship and taking pride in our work. This hole at the bottom of this boat, it didn't punch all the way through. It wasn't going to sink the boat. And remember, it's at the bottom, so it's going to be underwater. No one is ever going to see it. And yet he took the time to fill it with a dowel, plane it smooth, sand it off, finish it. Because he was proud of what he was doing. Sadly, we don't always see the same dedication to good work and quality in our everyday life. How many times have you gone to the store and bought something unboxed it only to find that there was a piece missing or something that didn't work right. Half the time you don't even feel like going back to return it because it's just another waste of your time. We certainly don't see the same kind of craftsmanship in the consumer-driven economy that we live in today. People back then, they lived in communities and your word was important and, and your reputation was important. And if you were a miller, you know, or you were a bread maker. I mean, there was, for example, the old time, back in the day when they used to make breads, uh, bread, they had, a, each baker had a maker's mark. And so the maker's mark would sit down and they would put the loaf and cook it on top of there. And so if anyone bought that bread in the market and it was, they had poor ingredients or it was stale or moldy, they could flip that over and look at that and see who that baker was and their business would either grow or it would suffer because of that. That accountability is so important. That's what we don't have by and large today. I've never heard of that. A maker's mark? Yeah, I'm a, a big advocate of maker's mark, and I really talk a lot about this on my channel. 
A maker's mark would have been something a blacksmith would have that would identify everything that he made under his maker's mark. Carpenters would have it. Any artisan or any craftsman would have it, even bread makers. And it would tie you to your product. So when it went out there, it was it, you, everyone knew who, who built it. You, if you were the blacksmith in town, typically you're not the only one if you lived in this large town. And so people would come to expect things. You've heard the term the real McCoy, right? Yeah. The real McCoy came from the steam engine days. There was a man that invented a, a way to oil. You see the guys back in the day with the oil can, you know, they'd walk along and greasing all the joints. Well, he developed a way to, to automatically oil these joints, which made everyone's job a lot easier. And his was the best. And it was called a McCoy. And that's where that term said people would demand, we want the real McCoy. We don't want these knockoffs. We don't want these fakes. We want the original one. It's accountability. It's pride in craftsmanship. And, and I think um, I think that pretty much sums it up. And what I make, I, I have a maker's mark, and I have a lot of my subscribers that have had come up with their own. And, and what it is, is, it is I don't care if it's a dining room table, if you're making um, an egg holder. You put your maker's <laughs> mark on there, and that final stamp on the end of it is you saying that I'm proud of this, and I'm going to sign my name to it, and I don't care who sees it. It's the best I can do. What do you do every day? What is your job? Do you apply the same sense, this awareness of what you bring into the world and whether or not it's quality? Would you be willing to put your maker's mark on it? I really thought about this a lot in the way I handle my own homestead and the things that I do. Sometimes we got to get things done and we can move really quick. And I'll be honest, there's some things that I've done in this property that are not worthy of a maker's mark. But I'm going to try to change that. I'm undergoing some changes in my outlook on how we homestead. And I'm going to try to make this place better, design it step by step to be improved so that my kids and whoever's here after me have a better place than what I came to. And I'll be happy to share my maker's mark on it. So Cody left the trades. He decided it was time for a change. He'd always been interested in joining the military, but it didn't work out. He figured the next best thing would be firefighting. The next best thing, I don't necessarily want to get into law enforcement. I think I'll, I'll get a job, see if I can get a job as a firefighter. He went to school to become a paramedic and an EMT. He also took classes in fire science. And soon enough, he landed a job firefighting. Oh, I love, well, I love being in the forest. I, I am um, equipment, everything about it just really appeals to me. It's very much like the military, but, but also you you can freelance and do a lot of your own things. So I, it, it's, I just love it. I think it's the best job in the world. So in case you had any doubt at this point, Cody is not afraid of risk. He loves forest fighting. In his mind, it was the best job in the world. Cody still fights fires. Uh, he's actually a volunteer fireman where he lives now with his family in their rural homestead. But he no longer firefights for his career. Instead, like we mentioned at the beginning, he makes his entire living homesteading full-time. How did he get to that point where he could be a full-time homesteader? It all had to do with a decision that he made, taking a risk on a new business idea, selling on eBay. We're going to find out what that is 
after our Grow Journey Gardening Tip of the Month. The Grow Journey Gardening Tip of the Month is about making your own tomato cages. Lots of the tomato cages that we can buy from the store are flimsy, they wind up getting bent, falling over, and this is actually really bad for your tomato plants because it can damage the tomato itself, which can lead to disease and a year without delicious homemade canned salsa, and we don't want that. So Grow Journey suggests that you make your own tomato cages, and they say the best material that they have found to do this is concrete reinforcing wire. So you take that reinforced concrete wire and you wrap it into a circle. One of the best parts of making your own out of this concrete reinforced wire is that you can make these cages any size. Grow Journey uses this wire on more than just tomatoes. They do six inch diameter for trellises for spinning peas. They make three foot tall pepper and eggplant cages. You can mix and match to all the necessary heights and diameters you could possibly imagine. If you're growing for tomatoes, they recommend cages with the following minimum dimensions, but you can always go larger. Five feet high, four foot circumference, 16 inch diameter. In case you're like me and don't remember what any of those words mean, circumference is the distance around a circle, diameter is the distance across the circle through the center point. How long will these last? There's still cages on the Grow Journey farm that are passed down from grandparents, 40 years, that are just starting to show signs of breaking down. So don't go out and pay a lot of money for new flimsy tomato cages. Buy a big roll of this wire and you can make your own trellises, cages, and anything else you might need in the garden. And it'll last a lot longer and it'll be totally customizable. If you wanna learn a lot more about gardening, and join the organic Seed of the Month subscription service, head on over to growjourney.com. You can get a free month's worth of seeds delivered to your door. It's awesome. I love being a part of Grow Journey. You'll be able to see a video on YouTube soon of me starting my Grow Journey raised bed. I've started my Grow Journey for the year. You should start yours. Head on over to growjourney.com and get a free month of organic seeds. Cody and his wife are homesteading full-time. They're able to make money from their internet business, which allows them to stay in their rural homestead, work in the forests and their gardens every day, and spend time together raising their son. I know it sounds like a dream. It's the goal that I have as well for my own homestead and my family. But these homesteading dreams of ours, they don't just happen overnight. Cody was slowly building towards this point, pretty much his entire adult life. And one of the biggest steps towards homesteading full-time happened when he opened up his first online business, selling on eBay. I met a guy that was buying cars from an auction and that were wrecked and he was repairing them and then reselling them. And, and this is the internet is just start, starting to come on now. You know, eBay is around and all of that. So I, I didn't have anything really to do and he was doing pretty well. So I thought, well, I'll do, a, I'll, I'll fix up a couple of these cars. This is kind of what I did in high school and until so I can figure out what I want to do. And so I, so I bought a couple and fixed them up and sold them. And, um, I bought a Jeep Wrangler, uh, and it sold really well. And I bought a second one and I started to, you know, when you're fixing up cars, you, 
usually you buy a parts car, you got a bunch of parts and different things laying around. I thought, I got to get rid of this stuff. How do I get rid of this? I don't have room in my shop for all of it. And that's when eBay was starting to come on. So I put them, I put a couple parts on eBay and they sold really well. And so I thought, well, maybe this would be better to just to buy these things and just sell the parts. So Cody has this hunch. If he sells the parts online instead of the whole fixed up car, maybe he could do better, build a bigger business. It was a little risky. He didn't have extra money to spare and he would have to break down an entire Jeep to start it. But he's not afraid of risks. And so he jumps in to this new parts business. And so I took it all apart and started selling it on eBay and, and, and that turned into a business where I had built a, started with a small shop and then got a bigger one and a 10,000 foot shop. And then I built my own on our own property and had employees and we were just running a regular full-time wrecking yard all online selling auto parts on, on eBay. Where in your life did you first learn that it's okay to take risks like that? Well, it would never dawned on me not to. You are a firefighter, so I guess you're not risk adverse. <laughs> so this hunch Cody had, he bet on hard, and it really paid off. For 10 years, he ran this very successful online business, growing and growing every year, making more and more money. But here's the thing, our life, our success, Cody figured out that it really isn't tied to money. We built our dream house, just a beautiful home and just exactly the way we wanted. I was working in a custom built shop, a loading dock, you know, built exactly to how I wanted. And then everyone around us thought we were absolutely insane that we would walk away from this to go out and, and to move in the middle of nowhere. Um, so it was a, you talk about risks, you know, take the Jeep apart wasn't a risk. I'll tell you what was a risk was my wife walking away from a six figure income and me selling everything and moving out in the middle of nowhere. That was the biggest risk. And I'll tell you that, that was, that one was not easy. But to most humans in the world, that probably sounds crazy. Yeah. It what? certainly sounded crazy to both of our parents. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> tell me about that. What was that like? Well, you know, I mean, it was like this. So here we had, I had a very successful business. We were both of us just making a tremendous amount of money. And we were, even though we were making all this money, we were spending more than we had. Uh, I mean, I, when I look back on it now, it just makes me shudder. But the reality of our life was getting up at five o'clock in the morning. And I used to take, uh, take my wife uh, to work. Um, and we would be working, I don't know, until eight o'clock at night come rolling in, picking up my son, this was being raised by my parents to a cold home and we were doing this six days a week. We were eating out three meals a day because none of us, we were too tired and we weren't at home anyway. And so, and everyone telling us that how we have it made and, and how lucky we are and oh, I wish I could do this. Some families need both the husband and wife to work. It's just a necessity. Others choose this. For Cody and his wife, it was a choice. They were both bringing in lots and lots of money, and they were both spending lots and lots of money. And they realized they wanted it to change. They didn't like the way things were going. And I could see where it was going. It was already, even though we were newly elected, it was already starting to put a strain on us. I mean, you just cannot keep that up. And so what we're doing now, we're, it's going to end in divorce, just like it does everyone else. It's going to end in somebody else raising my son um, and me not being in his life. 
I came across a guy uh, that had written a book. I can't remember the names of it all, but he had a similar experience. Had uh, had a super successful insurance business, making a ton of, ton of money. He built his dream house on 40 park-like acres, and was on the verge of losing his whole family because they had grown apart because they, all they did was chase money and success. And he made the decision to sell everything, quit everything, and move to an off-grid homestead in rural Montana, northern Montana, after he paid for the property. They didn't have very much else to go around and did this and raised his family up there for 15 years. Cody reads this man's book. Then he goes to visit him, sees their way of life. And I saw a different way of living that I'd never seen before. It was completely opposite to what we had been doing. They were living self-sufficient in an off-grid homestead. Um, they were happy. They had time to do what they wanted to do. They used to sit out on the front porch and look at these beautiful mountains and their, and their swing. And, and I just looked at that and I, both of us just resolved on the way home. That's what we want. Um, that's when we made the decision and, and we just jumped in and we just wouldn't, didn't look back. We said, we were going to make this happen. We were both of us on board. We were both of us, I, I liken it to a rowboat rowing in the same direction. And we, we just never, ever questioned it. And we had setbacks. We had terrible trials. We had a lot of difficulties. We made some really expensive mistakes. But you know, we kept going and we kept fighting. And, and here we are today. And, and I just look back now and I just marvel um, the difference in my life is and, and how how much better it is. And I'm just so glad we made the change. It was a scary decision, but they were putting their family first and they were making the decision together. And so in the end, they knew no matter what happened, no matter how it worked out, it was the right decision. The good news for the Wrangler stars, it worked out for them in kind of both ways. Uh, I would say that we make more money now by the simple fact that we're out of debt, we're debt free. Um, before, you know, both of us had six figure incomes, but we were spending, I, I can't even imagine what we were spending out on eating out. I yeah. mean, it must have been four or $5,000 a month. And I mean, it was nothing for, for me to go pay four or $500 for a pair of jeans. We traveled a lot. We bought whatever we wanted to do, whatever toy that I wanted, I bought. And even with that, uh, we were oftentimes we were stressed out and, and getting in, you know, having, there was tension in our family because yeah. of money, um, even with those incomes. So, uh, now I mean, we have, it seems the numbers are smaller, but, but the amount of money that we have to do the things we want to do and to pay bills and something breaks, it's never a problem. And we have an emergency fund it is completely different than it was then. You can see living without debt is a huge benefit to Cody and his family. Uh, they see it as a value where, although they may not be earning the same money they were, they feel like they have more money because they don't have the debt. Homesteading is a simpler way of life. You try to cross off some of the wants on your list and focus more on the needs. And a lot of your needs are not something you want to use money to buy, but rather you want to work for. That's the funny thing. The homesteading life is a hard one. There's lots of work. And Cody, he's probably working if not the same amount of hours. I'm guessing you still work long hours. Yeah. Okay. Probably more. Yeah. This, yeah. This probably more. more. Even though you're still working long hours, why does this life bring a family together? You know, firewood is a perfect example. People look at 
we, we have you know eight ten cords of firewood stacked up here and they come out and they think my goodness look at the work that went into build to doing all that you know i would never be able to do that or i would never want to do that but i try to remind them as you know what you're not looking at it right yes we heat with firewood that's our only source of heat but i receive our family receives a hundred percent of the benefits of our labor when we go out to work as a family and we cut down the wood and we throw it in the truck, it's it's not only we're building memories, we're we're laughing and joking, we're having, we're outside, we're getting exercise, we're just enjoying the whole thing, but we're also receiving a hundred percent of the benefits of our labor. There's no one taking a percentage, there's no one withholding tax, federal or state. We receive the fruits, the hundred percent of the fruits of our labor. Where the person who is not heating with wood, maybe you're heating with oil or gas, and you still have to go out there and make that money. You still have to go out there and work to pay for the things, the same as we do, but you've also got a half a dozen people in your pocket taking a portion of what you're making, taking it in taxes and fees and, and fines or whatever, whatever it is. For a long time, my wife and I had some serious financial, what I'll call tightness. We had enough money to survive, barely. And I looked at it like the solution was just to make more money. How could I make more money? How could I make more money? Kendra, meanwhile, kept focusing on how we could save. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't think that was the right way of looking at things. Until I started listening to people like Cody, who point out the fact that for every dollar you earn... Generally, and this is a generalization, uh, but depending on your state and how much taxes you have to pay, generally you're going to give away about 30 cents from every dollar. That means from every hour of your life that you spend working, 20 minutes of that hour is spent on your taxes. That means in a regular five-day work week, every Monday and a good part of Tuesday, all that time spent goes to your taxes. Let me put this in the scariest perspective of all. Tax Freedom Day. Tax Freedom Day, according to taxfoundation.org, is the day when the nation as a whole has earned enough money to pay its total tax bill for the year. It considers federal, state, and local taxes and divides them by the nation's income. This year, 2016, Tax Freedom Day fell on April 24th. April 24th. I want to let that sink in for a second. That means if you live here in the United States where I live and you're listening to this podcast when it comes out at the beginning of May, all the hard work you've put in from January 1st, all the early mornings you woke up and got to work on time and the people at work you don't like dealing with, but you have to anyway. And the late nights you've stayed up working on projects. And the time you've spent trying to figure out what jerk is stealing your sandwiches out of the refrigerator. And the sleep you've lost worrying about how things were going to turn out. All that hard, hard work to this point has been to pay off taxes. As of May, you've officially, finally stopped working for Uncle Sam and now can start working to put food on your family's table and a roof over your heads. This was a huge awakening for me. I started to really realize the value in this small farm homesteading life. You see, instead of going off to a job and working a couple days a week just to go straight to taxes, 
I can stay home more. I can provide more in the way of meat, animals, eggs, milk, vegetables. These are things we could produce ourselves. I don't have to earn the money for them, which means I don't have to pay the taxes on that. That means more and more of the work that I do is tax-free. I no longer have to go spend Monday and part of Tuesday just to pay my taxes. I can spend Monday and Tuesday working on the garden and learning how to be better at it so that I can make more vegetables and more fruits and have to earn less dollars. My wife was right all along. It's not about how much money you can earn. It's about what creative ways can you save and add wealth to your life in forms that are different than little green pieces of paper that can be taxed and taken. We're all going to work, whether you're working in an office or as, a, as an accountant or you're working on the homestead. The thing about this that's different is that you're receiving the benefits of your labor. And, and, and that's completely setting aside the importance of being independent and, and being prepared in case there's something, you know, financial trouble or, or natural disaster, all of those things have to play into it. So uh, it's, I, I, like, I like that aspect of it. Uh, it, to sit in a job or a cubicle or where you're behind a computer all day long and, and then you know have everyone's got their hand in your pocket to buy the things you need and then the thing that's so ironic about that is then you pay someone to let you into a gym so you can get exercise and it, everything is about you think well I, I make all this money and, and I have all these freedoms and I call my own shots but really you don't you have less options and less freedoms or when you're out here, I mean, you get plenty of exercise when you're working and you're working in the forest. You don't need a gym and you don't need this and you don't need to buy groceries. And we don't have a water bill. We don't have a sewer bill and, and all those things all add up. We don't commute and we're not buying tires at a thousand bucks a pair every year because we drive all the time. And we're not buying, having to, to buy expensive clothing to compete with our coworkers and, and eating out and the lunches and all of those things add up to the point where um, you start to see, you know, it's, it, it almost doesn't make sense sometimes. Remember, Cody is not talking negatively about a life someone else is living. He's talking about the life he lived, him and his wife. They literally saw it as a rat race, something they needed to get out of. And so they did. And every day they inspire more and more people to take a look, a hard look at their life and see in what ways they too can get out of the rat race in one way or another. Maybe you're thinking too that you want to make a change. The thing is, you don't have to make a change as drastic as Cody and his wife have made. The first thing you need to do is decide together with whatever significant other you have what changes you want to make. Cody said it's very important to be on the same page about this. As he put it, rowing in the same direction. Because... If you don't make the decisions together, especially if they're big decisions, it could wind up hurting you later on. My wife's ideas and mine about what we wanted were very different. And, you know, I was kind of looking at the model of I wanted to go hard and go up to northern Montana and, and up, in the, up, up, at the, up in the mountains of the Canadian border and off grid and, you know, really go Grizzly Adams on this whole thing. <laughs> um, and that, that would have been fine for me because I'm not a – I enjoy being around people, but if I don't see my friends that I have, sometimes we don't see each other for a year or so, and, and that's fine with all of us, and I don't need that interaction. But my wife, on the other hand, is very social, and making that decision, I could have bullied her and pressured her to, to, to go kind of conform to the way that I wanted to do it, 
and, and it was important for us not to do that and to compromise. So we needed to find a place that was still far enough out that I felt like we were really uh, uh, homesteading and, and I had a forest to work with and I didn't have any neighbors to see and I could live in the mountains, but not so far away that she couldn't drive in and, and be involved in her book club or, or volunteer at the library. So, For this homesteading leap to be successful, compromises need to be made. Get out a piece of paper. Make sure that you guys list exactly what it is that you want and what, what's important. And, and it's always going to come down to compromise. And mm-hmm. I could have, had we moved to Montana, you know, she would have been miserable. And, and it would have been a strain on our marriage. And it probably would have ended up in us giving up the whole thing. And, and, and who knows where we could have been. So even though I was a little disappointed that we weren't further out, when I look back on it now, I just am so grateful that, that I listened to my wife and that we both counseled together. And now this, both of us are happy. So before you throw the baby into the pool, at least stop and make sure it's something you both want to do. And again, I'm, I'm using this as a metaphor. Don't really throw any babies in any pools, please. And if the deep end isn't the right spot for you, that's okay. You don't need to move into the complete wilderness to get benefit from Cody's story. What could somebody on a smaller scale take away from your story and, and do at their own, even if their homestead is an apartment? an apartment in the city. Yeah, I, I really like this question. And and that really comes back to the whole core of the uh, of the channel. You know, the, the catchphrase on the channel is modern homesteading. And if you go online and you have an interest in doing this, you're going to run into a lot of people that whatever it is, it seems like everybody, so many people are so elitist about all of these things that people will tell you to be a homesteader, you need to have 40 acres and you need to have a built so tractor. You need to have all these things. And if you don't do all this, then you're not a real homesteader. I say that all of that is nonsense. When we first started wanting to do this, when our house was for sale, we knew we wanted to go that direction. We didn't have a lot of knowledge. First thing we did is built a four by eight garden planter. And we put in a couple of blueberry bushes. And that's what we could do at the time, but we were learning and, and my wife was learning how to can and we were, it, it, it's you do what you can. We have a family that's such a perfect example that they started watching the channel and just by chance we ran into them a couple of years ago and sat and talked with them about many of the things that you and I are talking about. And they, first thing they did is, is that they put some garden boxes in their little, their little suburban home and then they got a couple chickens and then they sold that house and they bought one that had five acres and now they have goats and all of these things and they started with a single planter box and, and they and now they're canning their own food and all of these things were, were an outgrowth of that one single garden box so don't think that you need to buy 60 acres and you need to have a sawmill and you need to have all of these things you can do a lot of things where you're at my granddad i would consider was a modern homesteader on a double lot in Oregon City, Oregon. He harvested his own meat. He grew his own fruits and vegetables. They did their own canning. My grandmother sewed their own clothing. They were the epitome, I think, of modern homesteaders. Modern homesteading to me and to us is doing what you can with what you have where you're at. Very special thanks to Cody from Wrangler Star for taking the time to share his story with us. The Wrangler Stars have a new book out, and of course they release videos every week. 
And if you want to follow Cody and his family's story, check out their channel on YouTube, Wrangler Star. Wrangler, like the Jeep, star, like what you see when you look up. So here's what's happening right now. You're either sitting somewhere at work thinking about how in the world can I make this happen, or maybe you're driving or taking a jog. Whatever you're doing, you're probably busy because you're listening to a podcast, and that's when we do this, right? We listen to podcasts when we're busy. But don't let this feeling of wanting to make a change slip away. Think about Marianne walking against the wind. There's lots of challenges. The wind will blow. The wind is going to fight against you. You need, you know, a fair amount of stubbornness. You need a lot of energy. It's not for lazy people. (laughs) But you need to make a decision that you're going to just walk against it. And once you've made that decision, it becomes easier. What do you do next? Well, when you go home, you've had some time to think it over. Sit down with a notebook. I'm talking pen and paper. Don't pull out the laptop or the smartphone. There's too many distractions. As soon as we turn those on, we'll end up getting sucked down the Facebook rabbit hole. Just grab a notebook, pen and paper, and do what Cody said. Make sure that you guys list exactly what it is that you want and what's important. And it's always going to come down to compromise. List exactly what you want. What do you want with your life? Where do you want to be going? What is success really to you? Is success earning a six-figure salary at work? We were both of us just making a tremendous amount of money. And we were, even though we were making all this money, we were spending more than we had. Or is success being able to spend time with those that you love doing what you want? If that's what it is, then you need to start adjusting your life so that that is what is going to happen to you because it doesn't just happen. Something in your life that you wanna do, whether that's small farming or just having a couple of laying chickens or having some meat chickens, if you really wanna do it, you have to do it. Just find a way to do it. Sit down with that notepad and paper. Write down what you want. Remember what we talked about back in the beginning. No, not cool runnings. On your mark. This is finding your path. When you start to clearly define what you want your life to be, that's finding your path. That's on your mark. Do that. That's your goal. That's what you need to start with. Find your path. Remember, we want to help you do this. Head on over to thisishomesteady.com. You'll see the big yellow button. Join the email list. By joining that list, you're going to get lots of motivational emails to help you get started. As soon as it goes live, you'll gain access to the On Your Mark, Get Set, Go Homestead course. It's going to be totally free. It's just there to help you get started because we want more homesteads. We know you're homesteady. And we want to help that. We want to see that grow. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you do get started this month, May 2016, if you haven't already. And if you have, keep growing. Because, as you know, the road is rocky. Make home steady.
The next episode of Home Study is going to be down and dirty technical homestead interview. We're going to have a master class on how to fence your farm. <laughs> this episode is going to be super practical because the day you get your first animal on the farm, you're going to need fencing. If you have any funny stories from your own homestead about fencing failures, I'm talking about goats escaping, chickens on the loose, pigs wandering over to your neighbor's property. If you have a hashtag fencing fail, write me and your story can be shared on the next episode of Home Study. We want to share fencing fails. You can share those fencing fails with us two different ways. You can either write them up and email me, aust at thisishomesteady.com, or you can call this number, 657-223-3276, and leave a voicemail. I won't pick up. No one's going to pick up that phone. Just let it ring. It'll go to voicemail and tell your story. That will be recorded, and by recording that, you are giving me permission to put that on the podcast publicly for the world to hear. 657-223-3276. That's the Homesteady Hotline. Leave your story of fencing failures, and maybe you will be on the next episode of Homesteady.